0: Welcome to Africa for Zero Waste podcast, where we have thought provoking conversations about zero waste shared by real people implementing solutions across Africa. I'm Sureshni Ryder, and today we will discuss the third session of the Intergovernmental Negotiating Committee to develop an international legally binding instrument on plastic pollution, including in the marine environment, Inc3. Took place from the 13th till the 19th of November 2023 in Nairobi, Kenya. On our show today, we are joined by Marissa Naidu, Africa Plastic Campaigner for Gaia and BFFP based in South Africa, Anirosha, Global Plastics Policy Director for Gaia based in Tanzania, Mohamed Kamal, Co Director of Greenish Foundation in Egypt, and Douglas Kaziro. Program Officer for Chemicals and Waste Management at Beaver in Uganda. Welcome all and thank you so much for joining us. Let's kick it off with a question to Marissa. Marissa, how did we get to the Ink 3 and what are some of the expectations for the Ink 3?
1: So, I would like to begin by stating that the INC 3 was essentially a culmination of discussions and decisions that were taken at the INC 1 and the INC 2, but was more of a direct response to the outcome from the INC 2, which was for us to have a mandate for the zero draft text of the treaty, which was essentially based on the views that member states expressed in the treaty negotiation process thus far. it was meant to form the basis of the negotiations at INC 3. This zero draft was released on the 4th of September 2023 and in the view of many was considered a well-balanced document that captured the full suite of views and positions expressed by countries at the previous two INCs and could essentially serve as the basis of negotiations at INC 3. It offered us options from an ambitious provision such as reductions in primary plastic polymer production, as well as bans on toxic chemicals, to much more weaker and voluntary measures. So it was a full range, essentially. The intent was to provide a framework for the negotiation, allowing countries to essentially tailor the treaty to their specific needs. And it was with this intent that the INC chair foresaw that the outcomes of the INC-3 could essentially be to deliver the mandate for the first draft of the treaty text by INC4, but also to pave a clear roadmap on intercessional work, which would build a strong basis for substantive discussions at INC4. It was with this progressive mindset that many member states and observers carried into the third round of negotiations. However, the outcomes were much more different from what we expected
0: where can individuals find more information about the work that BFFP and Gaia have been doing on the Global Plastic Treaty?
1: So both Gaia and BFFP have incredible websites where we can stay updated around the Global Plastics Treaty. The Gaia website is www.noburn.org and the Break Free from Plastic website is www.noburn.org dot org, and they both serve as great platforms to stay in touch with the global plastics treaty where you can find incredible information and resources on the plastics treaty such as Gaia's plastics treaty handbook as well as a recently launched video around the plastics treaty that Gaia produced BFFP's resources also include a plastics treaty messaging guide that has everything from the INC1 right up until the INC 3 and how we can actually communicate those messages outwardly. I personally can also be contacted directly for information pertaining to Africa's positions on the Global Plastics Treaty process and how African civil society organizations can get more involved in this process. The Gaia Africa for Zero Waste Instagram and Facebook pages are also a great platform to stay updated on everything related to the treaty process.
0: Anna, what has been the significant outcomes of the INC three? Good, bad, and ugly, and what will this mean as we head into INC four?
2: So there were three important outcomes needed from INC three. The first one, as Marisa just mentioned, we had a zero draft, a document that had been prepared by the chair and the INC secretariat after INC two negotiations, containing all the views from the member states and that document needed to be recognized by the negotiators and adopted for the negotiation. Uh, The zero draft ended up not being accepted as it was. Instead, over 500 additions have been added to it, creating a long, possibly non-workable document that will have to be dealt with at INC4. Um, given the fact that, that there was no mandate to improve this draft from INC 3 to INC 4. The second outcome was intersessional work that had to be agreed to so that um, common knowledge and agreement could be built in between INCs to ensure that we had a chance to achieve the treaty within the timeline initially agreed. Intersessional work was not agreed, Two, as an as an important agreement, um, because concepts that member states really cared about could not be achieved or could, could not reach consensus. So the intersectional work that was needed is also not going to happen. But then there is the third portion of what we needed from INC um, 3, which I think is actually a good part of it, is that we needed ambitious countries uh, to hold ambition and to stand strong when faced by low ambitious countries um, now identified, they self-identified as like-minded group. So although the High Ambition Coalition, for example, which is a coalition that had been formed at INC 1, remained silent throughout INC 3, the African group of negotiators and the Pacific Islands upheld high ambition, avoiding compromise in aspects that compromise should not happen. Like, for example, the inclusion of primary plastic polymers in intersessional work and the inclusion of developing countries as beneficiaries in financial mechanisms. Sometimes I truly believe that no agreement is better than a bad agreement. And in a negotiation process that includes both a group of countries that need an ambitious treaty, Uh, to survive and to address social and environmental injustice, and a group of countries that are present to jeopardize ambition and to negotiate in bad faith with the ultimate goal of preventing the treaty from happening, the fact that high ambition countries stood strong was fundamental for the future and viability of the process. So despite the zero draft not being adopted as it was, it was expectation number one, and intercessional work not being agreed to as expectation number two, the fact that the high ambition countries upheld ambition and stood strong, not compromising on aspects of the treaty that are really important for the future of the treaty, was a very positive outcome. So then to your second question, where do we go from here and what do we need to do before INC4? Well, we need to remember... Um, that despite not, no or formal intersessional work being agreed to, there is a very good likelihood that there will be intersessional work happening between the INCs, just informal intersessional work. And so paying attention to that and ensuring that that informal intersessional work happens in an inclusive and in a just way is important. And then for civil society organizations, um There is a lot to do in terms of public advocacy and strong national level engagement because we need to actually prepare with our countries their positions for INC4 that can then lead the treaty forward. And the more people that we have that understand about the treaty and that um, state the importance of a plastic treaty and also that put pressure on the national governments, the more likelihood we have that the national governments are going to react in a positive way and actually go to the to INC4 with the positions that civil society needs, demands, and has the right to look for.
0: With us today, we also have Mohammed Kamal. Mohammed is co-director of Greenish Foundation in Egypt. Mohammed, what is your take on how the interests of petrochemical countries played out
3: at INC3? It went well for uh, petrochemical industry and petrochemical countries but did not go perfectly to plan. So what we, we, what we ended up seeing is we're, we're seeing a lot of disruption happening to where the treaty should go, the direction it should take, which is following the Unair Resolution 514 and addressing the full life cycle of plastic. And the full life cycle of plastic means we need to start from the very start of the chain, right? And the chain starts from the raw material that is used to create these plastics. However, what we're starting to see is that a lot of the countries, especially petrochemical countries, countries with a big petrochemical industry, and the petrochemical industry itself, more or less advocating for this to be a waste management treaty. And this was very much a very clear part of the discussions that was taking place in uh, INC 3. also slightly took place in INC 2, but became much more visible in INC 3. However, one of the key things that Anna just mentioned was regarding intersessional work. And they were really against, there was a lot of countries that were very, very against having intercessional work on things that are not yet agreed upon in text, which is regarding things to do with polymers, with problematic polymers, with chemicals and chemicals of concern. And building on what Anna already said, it is better to not have an agreement than to actually have a weak uh, agreement on the type of interstitial work to her- that would have been done. So the fact that we did not come out with a formal uh, plan or framework for intercessional work is good because it keeps the hope of still addressing Adequately addressing the full life cycle of plastic to be there. So I would say that while it's in their best interest for the process to be slower, which is what we're having, what's happening now, we are going slower than than what we expected, which was already slow uh, for INC four uh, because of the no intercession work. At the same time, um, that means this will re- be reopened again for discussion. So it's not a full victory.
0: Mohammed, how do you think this will impact the future plastics treaty negotiations? noting that 143 fossil fuel and chemical company lobbyists were in attendance at Inc. 3, which has almost double the number that were present at Inc. 2, and that
3: six member states had these lobbyists as part of their delegations. It's important to also add that it's not only uh, petrochemical companies and petrostates, uh, it's also the plastic industry itself. We, we saw this very clearly in INC3. We're seeing uh, producers of different types of uh, plastics, plastic resins, and also plastic polymers, very visible now in the plastic treaty process, being very vocal, using it as an opportunity to lobby and to lobby countries as well. And just following a very logical framework, there, there is a clear conflict of interest. What we are trying to negotiate at the Plastic Treaty is directly affecting their source of income. What we're trying to negotiate uh, more or less needs to, di- to be directly focusing on the root causes of the problem and very much production is part of that problem we need to be negotiating that. This needs to be negotiated. And the presence of the petrochemical industry is making this much more complicated. So as we go into INC 4 and INC 5, I think the secretariat um, and the chair, they're going to be very challenged. One on how do we avoid conflict of interest? What should be introduced to to have no... There should not be conflict of interest in these spaces. Even if we call for things to have like inclusive discussions with stakeholders, we need to avoid conflict of interest. We cannot be negotiating something that clearly they will oppose. It affects their flows of income. That's one. And two, I would say that for like the the, the biggest implication on the treaty process is the, the, the primary concern we have is we reach a very weak agreement or treaty and if we and this could and this is largely now being driven by the petrochemical industry and petrochemical and countries with big petrochemical industries i believe or, or the perspective we're actually seeing now or the trend we're seeing is they're starting to more or less just oppose certain elements of the text and more and keep keep the the hanging uh, problem of rules of procedure there so that once there is a controversial issue that for them might not go forward, they will probably reopen this discussion again. This is sort of the way we're seeing it at the moment. And this is very concerning. So personally, as someone who's involved in the process, I'm extremely concerned. I'm predicting that there will be more presence of petrochemical industries in Canada uh, for INC4. And I think as African activists, it's slightly challenging for us to visualize not necessarily visualized, but to, to to see how the process can remain focused on the Plastic Treaty and focused on ending plastic pollution through a scientifically proven life cycle method with, that, with the presence of the industry, with the presence of the industry that clearly has an interest in no treaty whatsoever.
0: Welcome, Douglas. Uh, let me ask you this. Being one of the many African CSO voices present at Inc3, can you tell us about what were some of the key priorities that African CSOs took into the Inc. 3 process? And would you say that these priorities were upheld by the African group of negotiators?
4: As civil society organizations, we had key priorities that we wanted uh, to be upheld within the Zero Draft and make sure that um, the negotiators and the member states are actually. Able to to look at them and make sure that they actually appear within the the text. Some of the key um, priorities that we wanted as civil society to be reflected uh, within these negotiations. Uh, one of the key elements was about the global uh, plastic production reduction, and this should be uh, with the measures that can um, deliver a down uh, a face down of plastic production. Uh, to sustainable levels, and uh, it should be upheld in uh, the issue of human um, human health and human rights. So that was one of the key uh, priorities that we wanted to see. We also wanted uh, to make sure that uh, the identification and regulation of toxic and hazardous chemicals, uh, these include the monomers and the polymers of concern, highlighted during the discussions, And um, we also wanted to see um, the negotiations uh, taking care of of, uh, making sure there's inclusion, integration, and uh, just transition uh, of uh, waste pickers and frontline workers into the national, for example, waste management uh, policies and the global plastic treaty process at all. So those are some of the key things that we wanted to appear. We also wanted to see I harmonize standards and guidelines for environmentally sound uh, waste management uh, uh, that protects uh, the human health and also looks at environmental justice. Another priority that we looked at and we felt that should be a is ending of the West uh, colonialism and dumping on the African continent. As you may be aware, that the African continent is not a highly producing uh, uh, region of, of plastics but um, everything uh, comes back to the African continent the dumping all those things so we wanted uh, text, uh, a text with treaty that is able to cater for the ending of this kind of uh, dumping uh, at the African continent we also wanted to see a strengthened standards and guidelines for the EPR the extended producer responsibility um, and this should be mandatory and um, integrates with speakers and other workers and respect the waste hierarchy by prioritizing the reuse over recycling. And this is very important. Uh, when you look at some of the EPR schemes that are happening now, they are kind of voluntary uh, for national states. And we wanted uh, to avoid that and to be highlighted uh, very well. Another aspect that we wanted um, as a priority for for us as for society was the treaty to have a robust uh, financial mechanism that has completely a new dedicated fund uh, to end plastic pollution. Uh, this was very important for us, other than, you know, there was an element of trying to discuss, uh, making sure that the plastic fund is under, you know, already existing, you know, fund but for us we wanted a fund that is new and dedicated for plastic pollution we also as 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 muhammad was reiterating on the issues of science uh the lobbyists are using that uh, to downplay the importance of the entire life cycle so we also wanted uh we are supporting uh the institution of uh, a dedicated global scientific body within the treaty so that it's able to support the science um, about uh, the issues of, for example, polymers, issues of chemicals um, and chemical transparency. So we wanted all those to be highlighted and those were our key priorities. So in terms of uh, whether they were upheld, I would say it is a yes and no because a uh, majority of the African um, group negotiators were in support of uh, these items. All these priorities that we put across however there are a few member states that wanted to to move away uh, from the agreed positions of the region so somehow they wanted to downplay the importance of the of the african group and also deviate from the agreed positions for example from the the african ministerial uh, conference for environment and also from the discussions that they had in Kampala as the African group of negotiators. So there were a few countries that wanted to deviate from that, but as a majority of the countries of the African region uh, stood firm and said these are some of the positions we took, and we are mandated to make sure that these positions are upheld.
0: So Douglas, given the current outcomes of the Inc. 3, what are some ways CSO organizations, not only
4: in Africa, but across the globe, can take action between now and Inc. 4? I think it's not going to be much different from what we have been doing. Uh, my immediate response for that would be, we should continue engaging uh, the national focal points, uh, discuss these priorities more with them, uh, make sure that uh, we, we, we try to discuss with them issues of the intersectional work, what are the priorities at the national level for the intersectional work, so that we engage with these national uh, focal points and make sure that our message is cutting across. We should also, as uh, as you, you may have noted, the COP28 has had a high presence of the media. So I would think that civil society need to engage the media more. On the issues of the plastic, uh, or the issues of the Global Plastic Treaty, we need uh, to make sure that the media is present so that the voices of civil society and our priorities are amplified through the different media channels. Uh, We need also to continue to bring more on board uh, more civil society organisation, both at the national level, but also within the region. Uh, so that we are having a bigger voice and make sure that uh, the networks are working and ensuring that uh, the messages are cutting across. Uh, We also need to build the capacity of other civil society organizations uh, that still have gaps about the Global Plastic Treaty. There are knowledge gaps in there, so we need to keep building the capacity of these other civil society members and make sure that they, they are on board we can also hold uh, the post-INC workshops at the national level and make sure that we share um, the experiences we had uh, with the civil society members, but also with uh, the national people, for example, that were not at uh, at INC. We also need to advocate for the inclusion uh, at the national level of the Minister of Health uh, representation, as we have all seen that uh, there is no much separation between the plastic pre- uh, the plastic, uh, pollution and the issues of health. These ones go in hand in hand. Are, there's a, there's an interlinkage between these two sectors. So, uh, with some of those things, uh, as action points, I think we should be able to move forward and be prepared, uh, for more engagements, um, at inc
0: Thank you. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks to our guests for joining us. And thank you for listening to Africa for Zero Waste podcast. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and be sure to come back next time. Until then, this is me, Sureshni Ryder.